Hi, my name is Ashley Ledford, and I've been at Grace since I was two. It was like one time when we came at like seven o'clock to sing that one time. It was like that. And then after I asked my mom, I asked her if I would, if I asked her, can I be baptized? She read me a couple verses in the Bible. Do you remember those verses? I think it was like John 3.16 or something like that. What John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish but have eternal life. And then we, when we were in the car, we just talked about a couple of verses, that verse, and then she prayed. We both prayed, and then we went inside. I want to be baptized to show the world that Jesus is my Savior. My name is Ellie Just. I've been attending Grace for four years. My spiritual journey started when I was two. I went to church, Sunday school and church, and my aunt explained that, I, that Jesus died on the cross, and I knew I was a sinner, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I didn't really know much about him at that time, and I just put my faith in him and trusted him. And I... As I got older, I've learned more about him every day, and I go do devotions, and I do youth group. I want to be baptized because I want the world to know that Jesus loves me and that he is my savior. I'm Katie Ramsey. I've been at Grace Church for about a month, month and a half now. My walk with Christ, you know, when I was younger, I got baptized. Um, I fell in love with God, and then as I got older and into my teenage years, stuff happened in my life that caused me not to necessarily turn away from God, but I didn't turn to Him like I should have. Um, I got very lost in addiction and a very negative way of living. And um, last September, um, my demons kind of caught up to me, and I ended up spending a month and a half in jail away from my family. and. You know, I was so angry when I first got arrested. You know, when, when I first got to jail, I was so angry. And it wasn't at God, it was at myself. Because I let myself down, my, my children down, my family. And I really turned to God. And then once, once I did, I realized he put me there for a reason. He put me there to save my life. Because if he wouldn't have, I wouldn't be six and a half months clean today. You know, I wouldn't be here for my children. I wouldn't be getting baptized, I wouldn't be living the life that I'm living today. You know, I wouldn't be proud of who I am today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm so grateful for it because, you know, if it wasn't for him, I, w I might not have been here today. You know, I'm just, I'm so grateful that, you know, I am in the position I am today with God. You know, when things get hard or, you know, I get stressed out and I think of those negative thoughts of wanting to go out and use again, it's like God shows me a new, a new light, you know, a light turn on in my house or, you know, I see something on TV or hear a song, and it's like, okay, I hear you. I know you're there. I know you're telling me not to do it. And I'm grateful for that today because I wouldn't have done that six months ago. I want to get baptized because I want to wash away the old Katie. I want to wash away the lost soul that I was. You know, I want to let God in and let him, let him shine his light on me that day and wash away my sins, wash away the negative, wash away the addiction, and just be reborn in, in Christ, that way I can be the Katie that I want to be. 
I can be the, the mother I want to be, the wife I want to be, the daughter and the sister and the friend all through Christ and, and be able to share his word with other people that have been through addiction or struggling with you know stuff with their kids or divorces or anything. I want to be able to share that with with people that need it in God's in God's name, in Christ's name. You know, I want to share it because I've been through a lot and I never gave up because at the end of the day God had my back. <laughs> Christ had my back. Uh, my name is Marcus McGrain. I've been at Grace for I think a little over a month now. Well for me, um it was about I've always been I've always felt close to God spiritually, like just that feeling like knowing that there's something bigger than myself out there that's protecting us, keeping us safe. And uh <clears throat> I actually got baptized several years ago. It's been a long time. And like reflecting on that and things that how I used to live and how I've lived my life for the past four or five years, <clears throat> even before my son was born. I realize how wrong like I'm doing for myself and for God. And it all really came to to light to me. Like I was on probation for a while and had uh just kept messing up over and over and over again and, and God put certain people in place in my life. I see it now even more so then. Whenever I went to jail last year, last May, this last time, my last bit of trouble I got in, it was I was sitting there alone, scared, uh, just hurt. The only person, thing, entity, anything that I, I I seeked out was God. It was it was I was alone and. And I felt them every day that I was in there and every day after, even more. I, and whenever I strayed, that's where my anxiety comes from, my depression comes from there. It stems from falling off of that path that he has set out for me. I want to get baptized because I want to be, I want to be reborn in the eyes of Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Life is different from this point. It's like a threshold to the way that I see it, you know what I mean, how I how I know is something that I need in my life because I try to take the steps each day to live through, live how God lived, love how God loved, walk how Jesus walks, you know. And I think me being baptized show him that I love him. My way to, to let him know that I appreciate everything, how gratuitous I am to, to know that he, what the things that, that he sacrificed for my life, for our life, for the love of us. And someone to love you that unconditionally is, is absolutely becoming. Hi, my name's Tanya Newell, and I've been at Grace Community now for about six weeks. Growing up, I, um, I didn't have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. I didn't go to church. Um, unless it was with a friend, and that would be um, on occasions, um, not a very frequent thing happening as a child. I've been through many years of uh, depression and anxiety and couldn't quite figure out what was missing, um, and then I realized what it was was God that was missing. Over the past 20 years, I've um, had a friend that um, has talked to me a lot about uh, salvation and um, eternal life. 
we've had a lot of conversations about it, and I came to realize that it was going to take a commitment from me uh, to make this change in my life. One day, the desire became uh, very overwhelming, and I wanted this assurance in my life, and I told my friend I was ready. So I asked first, um, I asked for Christ to forgive my sins and come into my heart. I wanted to trust him as my savior and follow him um, as my Lord. I want to get baptized. I, I want to make that uh, commitment to um, have God in my life and have that savior and eternal life, the salvation, and I am ready to do it. I'll just kind of end with, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And after all those testimonies, we don't even need a sermon, right? We do. We do need a sermon. I can't believe you even... It's good to see all of you, and uh, happy Easter. On the last day of 2020, just a couple months ago, NBC News posted an article entitled, 2020 was a year of desperation and darkness. Here's how people around the world found hope. And along with many other voices, they recognize that right now people are really looking for hope. After the year we've had, I... I don't think there's anyone pretending anymore that we don't need help and we don't need hope. The article quotes Dr. Joan Anzia, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. This is the quote. Maintaining hope is so essential during times like this. To take an active approach to dealing with the disaster, which is what we hope for, that people are going to find their way through it. They have to have a vision for the future. And although she's right, and we desperately do need hope, if you read the article, you realize at the end of it that it lacks in offering any true hope to the person that's looking for hope. As a matter of fact, it goes on to paint the bleakest picture that you could imagine of our current state and only reminds us of the negative. The world does need hope, but you won't find it in that news article. I would even go as far to say as you won't find it in the news. If you're looking for real hope in the media, you are going to be sorely discouraged and disappointed. Every Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of our leader and king, Jesus, the Son of God, the one to whom the whole Bible points toward and we get all excited and we, get, we, we sing about and we, we say like, he is, risen. he is risen. How do you know that? How do you know that? Where did you learn that? I didn't grow up in church. I, I, I've heard people do that. I'm like, how do they all know what to say? But we say that, right? And we celebrate he is risen. But, but why? So he rose from the dead. What, what does the resurrection prove? What does it accomplish? What does the resurrection the truth of the resurrection do for you today? Does it offer you something? This morning I want to focus on just one facet of the beauty and the benefit 
of the resurrection, and that is hope, a living hope. Listen to how Peter, his first, in his first letter to Christians in the first century, these were people that lived during the days of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's one of Jesus' disciples. Listen to how he opens his letter to believers like you and me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad. Then IV translates it like this, to, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered. Strangers, exiled. Those of you that feel like, I don't belong here. Wherever I belong, it's not here. This isn't where my hope is. This isn't where it's going perfectly. Things are not going well here. There's brokenness here. Maybe you feel like strangers and exiles in this country, in this world. The Christians receiving the letter during this time, they lived in a hostile world, not any different than ours. And they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus and I know in our country, Christians in mainstream really haven't been persecuted for about 150 years. We've had a country where being a Christian was not something that you were looked down upon, but that's fading away. That's different today. Christians will be attacked just for being Christians now. And these people were persecuted on a different level than we are even today. In other places around the world, you're persecuted for putting your faith. They were too. They had to endure government oppression, real government oppression. You know, the the Roman government didn't look lightly and fondly on those Christians, those that had a different kind of faith. They were afraid of an uprising. Any group of people that challenged who the real Lord and emperor was, was a challenge to them. And the Jewish community around them wasn't any different. They didn't like Christians because Christians claimed to have found the Messiah. The Messiah meaning the anointed one, the promised one that the Bible writes about. The Bible, the Old Testament, talks about that there's this one that is going to come to earth and he is going to set up a new kingdom and he's going to save all of God's people and they will have joy forever. There will never be an end to that kingdom. So the Jews were thinking, well, Jesus wasn't it. And so Christians, and some Jews became Messianic Christians, but Christians were persecuted. No one one liked them. And Peter knew the Christians were hungry for a light at the end of the tunnel. So he wrote to them to give them hope. Peter wrote to them like what we need today, like what you need now, even you that already put your faith in Jesus, you also need hope, don't you? Where have you been looking for hope recently? Peter writes this in the the next verse, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. Peter says, but praise God, bless God's name. And you might think, okay, Mr. Pastor Peter, you're kind of switching on us. Verse 1, you recognize that we're strangers and exiles. You, you reference to our persecution here that we don't really belong here, and now you're singing praises to God. How do you have such difficult circumstances and then bless God in the same moment? He says, blessed be to God because he caused us to be born again. He gave us new life. And that new life he gave us to a living hope. 
Christians have a hope that non-Christians do not have. And that's what we celebrate and offer every Easter. That's why we're so glad that Christ has risen from the dead. Because he's alive, our hope is alive. He showed and he proved what he said he was going to do. Paul, who's another disciple or really an apostle of Jesus, Paul gives another thought toward this hope. He contrasts the hope that we have and the hope that non-believers do not have. And he's writing to Christians in, a, in one of the mega cities of their day. He's writing to these Christians in, in Ephesus that are dealing with all kinds of, not just persecution, but idolatry and sexual immorality and all kinds of issues. Uh, you thought public school is getting worse with no prayer and all that. I mean, this was a whole town that was dedicated to false gods and immorality rampant. And he writes to them and tells some, because they got saved, and he says, at that time, you were without Christ. He's trying to remember them. He's trying to remind them. You know that before you became a Christian, you were without Jesus. And then he tells them, and you had no hope. He says, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. That just means you weren't part of God's people. You weren't God's child. You weren't known in this relationship with God. And foreigners to the covenants of promise. And if you don't know what covenant mean, it just like a relationship where there's a mutual agreement. He said, you did not belong to God. You weren't known as God's people. And you did not have a good relationship with this God who created you. You were totally without God. You were totally without Christ. And he says, without hope and without God in the world. He reminds them that non-believers don't have hope because there's no hope for life after death for them. There, there is no resurrection of the dead. There's no life. There's no forgiveness. There's no peace. They're without hope. The best the world has to offer is a fickle hope. It's a hope that changes. They'll say, oh, we need a hope in this. Let's just say a vaccine. And then, no, as soon as you get vaccine, no, there's still, it's going to be the worst it's ever been. You need a hope in this political party. And then immediately the next round, it's no, not that political party. Or no, we were just kidding. We need something else. Or you need to, you need to put your hope in this kind of government or in this kind of uh, society or this kind of community. The world keeps looking up for looking up artificial hope. It's like artificial sweetener. It's not the real thing. And they try to offer it, and it just causes cancer. In the end, people realize this is giving me nothing. This is not sustaining me. It's not giving me life. But in Christ, we have a living hope. We celebrate the death and resurrection because it provides us this new life. Peter in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. You know, I've, I've heard, I, I wasn't really around during this time. I'm, maybe I made fun of them, I don't know. But there came a point in America where when people spoke of born-again Christians that it was used derogatory, where you'd be like, oh, yeah, she's a Christian. And they'd be like, oh, no. She's a born-again Christian. You know, she's actually full of spirit, as if there's another kind of Christian, you know. I remember this one movie star who, who pretends to uh, follow Jesus. He, he made this reference. He goes, oh, they're too saved. They're too Talking about real Christians, people that truly love God and hate their sin and believe that there's, a light, there's heaven and hell, and, and uh, they're too saved. And there's these derogatory terms of being born again and being too saved. And Paul, Peter is telling them, listen, you were born again. And you are given new life. And part of that living hope that we receive 
is on our future. If you look in verse 3, it says, His great mercy. Because of God's great mercy, He saved us. And then He goes on to say, because of His resurrection, we have hope. We have a living hope. And part of that living hope is in our future. In verse 4, He says, where's this living hope? He's describing it. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Part of this living hope is you, you have an inheritance. You have a reward coming. There's something that's being offered you, and it's, it's kept in heaven for you. In other words, this world is not your hope. It's not found here. You're not going to find real hope in the things of earth and the things of the world. Uh, these are all just temporary. They're fleeting. It's, it's not going to satisfy the true desire of your heart for, for hope. The Hebrew author also mentions these. He, he spends a while, chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, some people call it the, the chapter of faith. He, he describes that they were believers, they were Christians that believed in God and they, were, they had a great faith. And he goes through a list of them and he says, look at all these people of faith and these people you read about in the Old Testament. And then the writer says in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now just stop right there. Think about this. The Hebrew author is saying, listen, these people had faith in God, but they didn't even receive the promise yet. They died before they received the promise. In other words, they weren't hoping in a, in a wonderful life of great circumstances and conveniences and pleasures and comforts. That's not where a biblical hope is found. We don't have hope that God's going to make this short temporary lifetime just wonderful. This is just going to be so easy, just no problems. And, and the author points to them and says, listen, they didn't even receive what God promised to them until they died. They had to die before they received the promise, which points you and me to where their faith really was. What did they really place their faith in? They saw it and greeted it from afar off. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're seeking another country. They're seeking a different city. They're, they're seeking a different kind of kingdom that you can't find here. Verse 15, he goes on to say, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, if, listen, if they were thinking of and hoping for, uh, you know, the, the place where they were born, you know, mama's home. You know, if, if they were thinking of a homeland they were familiar with or some kind of promise, they, they would have just gone back there and it would have been fine. They would have received it, but they didn't receive it because that's not what they were thinking. They weren't thinking their hope was in a city that they had seen before. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God's not ashamed to be called their God because where their faith and hope is, their living hope, is in what God has promised. They have an inheritance, a future that they're looking forward to. And Peter writes about this inheritance. He's writing about what the Hebrew author said they put their faith in. It's the same hope that you and I have. We have a living hope, and our living hope is not made in right here. It's not, it's not found right here. In verse 4, Peter says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He gives three words. He describes this inheritance in three different ways, and he says, You have a living hope. I want you to think about this hope that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. 
And I want to define it for you. I want to give you some new words in case you don't use those three words. And just getting in the context of what Peter's saying. When he uses the word imperishable, what he means is it will never disappear. It's never going to expire. That's the first point. Imperishable means it will never disappear. Courtney, my wife, in case you don't know her, she's so kind to me and she loves me and she takes care of me. And for some reason I've thought, I need to get a truck. I don't know why, I just wanted to get a truck. It's a man thing. Maybe I just hit that threshold age where I know that now I need a truck. And so, I mean, so you have trucks, you know. And so like, I, I want a truck. And so I talked with her and she's like, you know, you know, I don't know, a truck and all this. And so I told her the pastor thing. I'm like, I prayed about it, prayed all night. You know, I just prayed. I know God wants me to get a truck. And She's real kind, and eventually we get to a point where she, she actually tells me, she's like, well, if you really think that God is leading you, that we need a truck for our family, although I don't think so, but if you think so, then we should get a truck. Well, it's like, great, great. Now she doesn't think so. But she let us go car shopping, so we go to this place in Wichita, and we look at these vehicles, and in one of the vehicles we looked in, have you ever, have you ever just scratched your head and said, they knew they were supposed to clean this, Right? Like before we go, like no one's going to want to buy this. The, one of the cars, it was not clean inside. It was a great place. It's a great place to get one. But one of the vehicles was dirty. And I was in the back seat and I found a French fry. <laughs> and the reason why I know it's a French fry is because it looks exactly like a freshly made French fry. Now, secret, you may not know this, uh, that car had been on that lot for a long time. And as far as I know, no one had French fries in that car for a long, long time. But just like fast food, I mean, fast food is like one of those things where, have you ever like had a sandwich and you're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this later, and if you, maybe none of you, 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 you're better than me, but you left it in your car for like weeks and weeks, and you go and open the bag, and it looks exactly like the sandwich looked when you first bought it, right? That's not food. That's not healthy. <laughs> a little bit like fast food, the promise we have will never disappear. It stays the same. It will always be there. It's not going to expire. It is imperishable, like fast food. <laughs> he also uses undefiled. He says the inheritance that we have is undefiled. Now, this is more of a churchy word, and so maybe you're thinking, you know, undefiled means without blemish. There's no blemish on it. There's no mess with it. But you have to think, what's the point What's the point if something's perfect and it has no blemish? Like, what's the experience that God is intending for an undefiled heaven? What he means is it's perfect. It's perfect. It will never disappoint is the purpose for it being undefiled. You know, there's going to be no sin in this new city, this new heaven and new earth. There's going to be no sin there, meaning you're not going to grieve there's going to be no pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more mistakes. Like if I were to go and I wanted to buy a new truck and, and, and God's already told me I shouldn't buy it. So just in case you're wondering, I'm not getting a new truck. Uh, and God sounded so much like Courtney when he said that. <laughs> no, I'm actually kidding. I actually called a friend. I'd been pray I really did pray and you're going to laugh at me. I, gen I actually fasted over this. And I'm like praying, I'm like, God, I, I just think you want me to. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I was like, God, you know what? I don't need a truck. I just want one. But if it's not bad for my family, I, and you think I can have one, would you work this out? And I prayed and prayed and God was silent on it, didn't give me a clear answer. And I call a friend of mine and we're talking on the phone and he's wise. He's someone I look up to and I, 
I enjoy hearing from. And before our conversation was over, I'm sitting in my garage and I'm mad because I'm like, that was you, God. You don't want me to get a truck. I get off the phone with them. I don't even go in the house. I stay in the garage because I'm just upset. Have you ever done that where you sulked a little bit for like 10 minutes? Like, God, I know that was you. Like, I don't know. You know your kid? You know when you were a kid and you heard mom or dad calling you, but you were just far away that you almost didn't hear? You heard them, but you almost didn't hear them. And this is what you thought. I mean, I didn't know if I heard them or not. And you just keep going, like, I don't have to come in. And then you get back, and they're like, you heard me. And you're like, because you're so sure that I could have not heard him. I could have not heard her. And so you're like, no, I didn't hear you. You lie about it. It's that moment. Have you ever, like, where God's speaking to you, and you kind of want to be like that 10-year-old kid and be like, but did I hear you? That's what I was doing for 10 minutes. So I'm sulking like a baby. And I'm like, yes, I know that's you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get the truck. But let's say God changes his mind, and he lets me get a truck. And I go, and I go get to my truck, and I look, and there's a big gash on the side of the door. And the tires are messed up. I would look at that and go, no, this is not what I wanted. This was not what I was hoping for. The fact that heaven is undefiled, it is perfectly rewarding. It is going to be everything you hope for. I know some people complain like, oh, man, if heaven's going to be a bunch of singing... I am not going to want to be. I know there's some people that are big into singing, and some people are not. We're just created differently. But in heaven, maybe you've got the cartoon or old school picture of what heaven's going to be like, just a big cloud with a bunch of harps and singing, and you're going to be there bored. Because, I mean, after, you know, after about 10 songs, you might be thinking, okay, what else is up here? You know, you might be thinking, that's not what heaven's going to be like, by the way. You can read about heaven in the Bible. It's not going to be like that. Heaven is going to be so satisfying and fulfilling. And even though we don't know everything that there is to know about heaven, although you can learn a lot in the scriptures, whatever you think you're not going to like, either it's not going to be there or you're going to change your mind once you get there. You will love what the new heaven and new earth is like because it's undefiled. It's perfect. And you are going to enjoy it. It'll never get old. It'll, It'll always be wonderful, which is his next point. He uses the word unfading. What does unfading mean? To not fade, it means it will never diminish. It will never diminish. In heaven, it will never get old. You'll never be like, well, we did that yesterday. You know, it's never going to feel that way. The beauty won't fade. It'll never lose its splendor or shine. Courtney came to first service, and I didn't mention this. And I like mentioning things when she's not here because I really mean them, and it feels more honest that way. I married Courtney 13 years ago, and some change, not long ago. And, and I, you know, if you've seen pictures of, you know, right before we got married, she's just stunning, beautiful. You know, she doesn't think she's as beautiful as she used to be. What she doesn't know is she looks more beautiful me, to me now, even than she did then. Because there's a relationship that is formed, and a beauty that I can see that I I didn't know how to see before. In heaven, the way that you behold God is just going to grow. It's just going to get better and better and better. You're just going to be so satisfied, and it is unfading. It will never diminish. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist says to God, he's singing to God, You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The, the two words, those two ideas of pleasures and forevermore, is they just keep coming. It's just wonderful forever. We have a living hope, a hope that's alive just like Jesus is alive. And we've been given and born again to this living hope to an inheritance. There's an inheritance. There's a reward for us. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. So what do we do with that? What do you do other than know and celebrate of this new hope? How do you apply this hope to right now? What do you do right now? What's next? So Peter addresses the next in the next verse. He basically says we can choose to rejoice now because of what God has done and what we'll get. So look at verse 5. He says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He speaks of that shield of faith. You've heard of the shield of faith? You're being guarded through your trust. You're trusting Jesus, and God is using your faith in him to guard you and to protect you till the last day. One day he's coming back. He's going to take care of all this, and it's going to be sweet and wonderful. Your faith is what's guarding you for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's coming back. It is, it's, it is coming. It is coming. In this you rejoice. Pay attention to that. This is what you rejoice in. He's guarding you right now. He's protecting you right now, even if you don't know it. He's shielding you through your trust in him. And it's going to be revealed. You're going to see it and taste it one day. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to no longer have this failing body. And you're going to be able to enjoy him. It's coming. So we choose to rejoice. We find our joy in the salvation that God has provided for us, which we look back 2,000 years and say, he rose from the dead. Every promise is sure, and he's coming back to raise us from the dead. That's part of it. But also, you can choose to change your thinking. You can choose to set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Going back to Paul, a different guy, another, he's writing to Christians. He says in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, and if you don't know the book of Colossians, in chapter 2 he talks about we're baptized with him, we were raised to life with him. He goes through the whole theology on what baptism pictures and what the resurrection means, and he says, okay, okay, for chapter 3. So if you believe in the resurrection, if, if you've been raised with Christ, if that's your identity, and when he rose from the dead, that's a picture of how he rose, raised you from the dead. If that's true, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ being seated at the right hand is a picture of honor. He's in charge. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the king. He's the creator. So set your mind on things that honor Christ. What would honor God? Think about those things. What would bring him honor? Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not that are... Thi- not on things that are on earth. So even Paul, even though he's not using the same words as Peter, is speaking of the same thing. If you believe in the resurrection, think about heavenly things, not about earthly things. And guess what? How could you describe earthly things? I mean, I know we say sin, and later in verse 5 in Colossians 3, Peter, or Paul writes about, you know, put away the earthly things. But he's giving a picture of something that's perishable, things that are defiled, things that are fading things that are temporary. See, heavenly things are imperishable, undefiled, unfading, but worldly things are perishable and defiled and and fading. So think for a moment. 
What have you been setting your your mind on this week, this month, this year? What do you think about on a regular basis? Do you set your mind on things above because Jesus rose from the dead? Because you've been raised with Christ, you're like, I'm living for him. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to think about what's true. I'm not going to be thinking about lies and worldly things, things that are not going to satisfy. They're only temporary. This world is fading away. Set your mind on things above. Choose to think about heavenly things. You can rejoice today, and you can set your mind on things above because Jesus rose from the dead. He, he defeated death. You know, in, in my culture, my greatest enemy is inconvenience. It's discomfort. But I realize that's not my greatest enemy. My greatest enemy was spiritual death. And when I was 16 years old, I had heard the gospel so many times before that. I'd heard about Jesus dying on a cross and on the third day rising from the dead. And I actually believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that that really happened 2,000 years ago. And I, but I was not a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I believed just like the demons believed. And Jesus' half-brother, when he came to Christ later after Jesus rose from the dead, he became a Christian. He wrote the epistle of James. And in chapter 2, he writes about a demonic faith that demons believe in God. They've seen Jesus. They know he's God's son. They were there when he was nailed to the cross. They were there when he rose from the dead. And they hated it. That was me growing up. I knew who Jesus was. But here's the difference between me and a Christian. I believed about Jesus but I didn't love him. I didn't hate my sin. Just like demons, I did not follow him. I want to invite you. Give your life to Christ. Give your life to Jesus, God's son. Confess your sins. Tell God, I'm sorry I sinned against you. I believe I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I am not perfect. I have done it wrong. And when I hear of Jesus, something's stirring inside of me. I believe that this message is true. The Bible says if you confess your sins that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the whole reason why we celebrate Easter, if you believe that, you will be saved. But that means you believe it in such a way that you realize, oh my goodness, Jesus loved me first. You will never love him until you receive his love for you. That's why we say every Sunday, we only love you because you first loved me. 1 John 4, 19. Now we're about to get in time of baptism. I want you to know that baptism doesn't save you. Just like this wedding ring I have on, this is a symbol. This lets people know that I'm saved, or that I'm married, sorry. (laughs) Ruin that. No, that's not the thing. Just rewind. Sorry, online people. She saved you. She saved, in many ways, yes. But this ring is just a symbol. It's like a picture. It lets people know, I'm married. I have a wife. When you're baptized, that does not save you. But it's a picture. It's you saying, listen, I died to my old self. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I had no life. I was going to die and stay separated from God. But just as Jesus died on that first Good Friday and rose from the dead on that first Sunday, God raised me up with them. So when they come out of the water, I want you to picture this. That is them screaming to you, Jesus changed my life. He saved me. And so we're going to watch the other baptisms that you didn't get to see. These, the previous videos were for first service. 
and, uh, and they're going to do that now. Hi, my name is Karina Vo. I've been attending Grace for eight years. I've been learning about God since I was, I was little. In Sunday school, we learned a song that says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So one night before bed, I was talking to my mom about how Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I told my mom that I wanted to choose to follow Jesus and not Satan. I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me and my sins. I know that he forgave me. He helps me with my attitude. I want to tell others that Jesus loves him too. I want to get baptized to show others that I love Jesus. Karina, it's based on your confession of faith. We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Bradenville. I have been attending Grace for 11 and a half years. I learned about Jesus, heaven, and hell one night when we were reading out of the Bible. I thought that hell sounded awful and I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go to heaven where Jesus was and life was good. A little while later, we read about when Jesus died on the cross to take our sins away so that we could go to heaven to be with him. I told my dad that I wanted to go to heaven where Jesus was, but didn't know how to get there. He told me that you have to ask Jesus into your heart to take your sin away. So when I was four years old in our living room, my dad helped me to know to, and to say to accept Jesus into my heart and to take my sins away so that I could go to heaven to be with Jesus. I immediately felt clean and that my sins were taken away. I knew that I had done the right thing and that I would go to heaven to be with Jesus. I know that without him, I will go to hell. And I know that he will always forgive me no matter how bad my sin is. I try not to sin and I know that it will be okay because I believe in Jesus and that he will always be there when I need him. The main reason I want to be baptized is I want to show people that I believe in Christ. Braden. Based on your testimony of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Addisonville. I've been attending Grace for 11 and a half years. When I accepted Christ into my heart, I was four years old. I was in the kitchen cooking with my mom. I was asking her questions about heaven and Jesus. Then I told her that I wanted to go to heaven. Then I asked her if she would pray with me to be saved, and she did. I knew that I needed to be saved from my sin. I know that Jesus died on the cross to take away my sin because he loves me. I want to get baptized because I want to show others that I'm a follower of Christ. Addison, based on your testimony of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Caitlin Doherty, and I'm nine years old. I started to go to Awana's at Grace Community Church. Then I went to Sunday school for about three or four years. I was in second grade going to South 
breeze, and once a week there would be a Bible school, and I would go to there, and the teacher would ask us, have you accepted Christ? And she said, if you want to, everyone will close your eyes, and we can. And if you wanted to accept Christ, raise your hand. And she would come pray with us, and I raised my hand. I want to get baptized because I am in the family of Christ, and I want everyone to know that. Caitlin, based on your testimony of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Rachel Esch, and I have been attending Grace Community Church since I was born. When I was five years old, I asked my mom to pray with me, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Even though I wanted to serve God, I continued to struggle with perfectionism, anxiety, and doubt. I knew that God had the power to give me eternal life, but I wasn't sure that he could totally transform me here on this earth. While I was attending Heston College, a series of traumatic events impacted me. I began to question my faith and even the existence of God. A couple years later, I transferred to Tabor College, where I majored in piano and elementary education. God surrounded me with friends who were wholeheartedly following after Jesus. I joined a Bible study and started asking hard questions about my faith. A couple weeks later, I started experiencing severe pain and weakness in my arms. My ability to play piano and complete everyday tasks was impacted. I couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen to me. When my voice started hurting as well, it felt like everything I loved was being taken away from me. I decided to start seeing Tabor's campus counselor. She helped me realize the lies I was believing about God, myself, and my purpose in life. God has continued to show me that the more I place my faith and trust in him, the more joy and purpose I will have in my life. I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know what God has done for me. Satan intended to use my pain to destroy me, but God is using it to free me. Even if I continue to struggle with health issues that impact what I can do, I know that God will use it for my good and his glory. I want everyone to know that there is nothing better than following Jesus. Rachel, it's based on your testimony faith. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 